That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs on the fighting for the gay disco. What are there are no slurs here? Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains. And the opposite is America. Because America is now one big gay disco. Our most requested guest. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's what they That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. One big gay disco. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe so, you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One day, day disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, it's a rainy Friday afternoon in South Bend, Indiana, and all hell has broken loose on the Internet. You probably heard by now that Patrick Coffin had scheduled a conference uh, called uh, Hope is Fuel, got a bunch of people together and was going to talk about hope. Now, I know you know that hope is a controversial topic, uh, but someone got upset with the fact that uh, he was going to hold this conference. Uh, what's, what's going on here? Um, let's go, let's go uh, back uh, to the beginning. This is the clip that started it all. I regret to announce that I am withdrawing from participation in the Hope is Fuel conference sponsored by Patrick Coffin. I'd like to make clear exactly why I'm making this decision. For those of you who do not know me, I'm Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, founder and president of the Ruth Institute, which is an international interfaith coalition to defend the family and build a civilization of love. When Patrick approached me to participate, I told him that I did not agree with his position on the resignation of Pope Benedict. I've never said anything about this issue in public because getting involved in this particular controversy would take me too far afield from the overall mission of the Ruth Institute. I explained to Pat that I might have to make a public statement at some point distancing myself from him on this topic if it became an issue. 
we had a very cordial conversation as he's been a longtime friend of mine. And on this basis, I agreed to be part of the conference. However, I recently learned that E. Michael Jones is one of the participants in the conference. Jones has offered several important books that I value. However, he has recently also authored works that I consider anti-Semitic. I have tried to read his work in this area, and I've had to put it down. I consider it poison. Anti-Semitism carries a historical load that no other form of discrimination carries. Sometimes people will say that Jones's work is well-researched and intelligent. Well, that doesn't really make me feel any better about it. In my judgment, the world does not need anti-Semitism, especially from a Catholic. Jones's name was not on the list of participants that Patrick initially sent me. If it had been, I would not have agreed to participate. That's uh, the beginning of this whole uh, battle. So it's not about hope. It's not even about say David Kantism. It's about E. Michael Jones. Now, first of all, we've been down this road many times before, okay? The fact that, first of all, this is not even a conference where we're all going to be in the same room together, okay? It's an online conference uh, where apparently this lady is afraid she's going to contract some type of uh, sin from being associated with me even online. So let me make perfectly clear that this is... Uh, you do not contract the sin of someone that you talk to. This was settled law, or if you want to call it that, uh, in the Catholic faith, because Jesus Christ had to deal with this issue uh, when he was criticized by the Pharisees for uh, having uh, for supping with uh, tax collectors and prostitutes. He had to explain to them there is no taboo. Taboo is a Jewish concept. Okay, uh, it's not has no bearing on my the Christ relationship with the sinner. All of us are sinners, or the relationship between one sinner and another, because we're all sinners in this regard. So, what is this really about? What is this really about? This is about an attempt to take over the Catholic mind. Okay, it's an attempt. We have reached a showdown. The Jewish revolutionary spirit, as this lady mentioned, has been out for a long time, uh, over 10 years now. We have a second edition out now. Uh, during that period of time, anyone could have come forward and said, Jones is full of shit because on page 272, he said, and it's false. Well, no one ever did that. No one ever did that. Uh, and no one still has done that to this day. And Jennifer Roback Morse can't do it either. But what she's going to do is level the charge of anti-Semitism in a completely baseless way. Okay, so what do you mean by anti-Semitism? Well, the point of leveling the charge is never to define the term. Okay, and the point of leveling the charge is that because you have uh, an undefinable term, the minute you use it, your opponent is supposed to drop dead. This is a death sentence. Everybody knows that. Everybody runs in fear of the Jews because they can use the term anti-Semite to destroy you. Do I have to bring up recent issues? Uh, Kanye West, for example, lost $2 billion in a 48-hour period because he said something that Jews don't like. What's going on here now? What we're seeing here is a bunch of self-appointed commissars 
imposing Jewish values on fellow Catholics and making sure that no Catholic will ever say anything that the Jews disapprove of. This is all about thought control, and Jennifer Roback Morse is the main thought controller in this regard. Now, if it were true that uh, she could contract some type of ritual impurity by contact with me, well, maybe she con would contact ritual impurity by contact with other people. Uh, for example, Father Robert Sirico. Father Sirico is the head of the Acton Institute. The only reason I ever knew about Jennifer Roback Morris is because of her connection with the Acton Institute, which is run by a notorious homosexual. And I'm talking about Robert Sirica. Now, I am not engaging in detraction here, which is to reveal the hidden fault of another for no good reason. This is a man who was a, a homosexual activist on the West Coast who was notorious for having slave auctions in Los Angeles, for performing the first gay marriage. This man never should have been ordained a Catholic priest. Okay, something happened there, not sure what happened, but suddenly he emerges as the Catholic priest wearing the Roman collar. You never see him without a Roman collar. Okay, uh, okay, good. All forgiven. Well, no, wait a minute. What does the Acton Institute do? The Acton Institute uh, is, exists to undermine the Catholic, so, Catholic social teaching, the church's teaching on economics by promoting libertarianism, which is exactly what Jennifer Roback Morris is producing, pro promoting. So if she's, uh, wait a minute, if, if this is true, that there can be ritual contamination by association, why isn't Jennifer Roback Morse tainted by her association with Robert Sirica, first of all, a homosexual, uh, the homosexual who is the head of the Acton Institute? And secondly, why, uh, this is, goes even beyond that, why are we supposed to take her seriously as some type of a Catholic authority when she's promoting a libertarian ideology that is the antithesis of Catholic social teaching? Okay, let's keep that in mind. Okay, because that's where it started. It could be that there are people behind uh, Jennifer Roback Morris, that's possible. Okay, but then uh, the situation developed and suddenly Janet Smith weighed in. Janet Smith and I go back, way back to the 1980s when she was a professor at uh, Notre Dame University. She weighed in uh, initially and said, I'm standing by Patrick Coffin. I'm, I'm going to stand by this guy. It's a matter of principle. It doesn't matter. I know E. Michael Jones, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And she posted that on Facebook. Great. Thank you, Janet. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Something happened. Something happened. The next I hear, Janet Smith gives Patrick Coffin a call. Uh, she knows who I am. She doesn't have to go to the ADL to find out who I am. We spent time together uh, in the 80s on the same side. Okay, so she suddenly then goes to Patrick Coffin, goes behind my back, uh, talks, tries to pressure Patrick Coffin into canceling me, dropping me from the conference. And then when that fails, she does a 180 degree turn and bails on Pat Patrick Coffin, okay? And then deletes her, her, her uh, message of support from Facebook. 
because soon she was subjected to pressure and she caved into pressure. Okay, that's bad enough. Okay, but then she goes on and she writes an article in Crisis Magazine about me. Okay, once again, it's all about me and whether E. Michael Jones should be uh, uh, accepted in, in the company of fellow Catholics or should he be driven out of that company, okay? So she wrote the article in crisis. Uh, this is a, an excerpt of what she said. I watched Dr. Michael Brown's interview of Jones. Brown, by the way, uh, completely fabricated a, a video of me by photographing me uh, as on a, a computer screen as if I were there and then asking me a question while well, the computer screen can't talk and then pretending that I had no answer to that. So I'm skeptical about anything that Michael Brown does on video. And looked at many Facebook points that were deemed to be problematic. I certainly may have missed some important statements by Jones and hope I don't have to make another statement. If so, I have already spent too much time on this matter. I have also spent hours discussing the matter with Coffin. Okay. Well, thank you, Janet. Thank you, Janet, for bringing this. Anyway, so at this point, I thought, well, it's out in the open. Uh, I don't want to. I wasn't going to talk about her going behind my back and trying to pressure uh, 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 Patrick to get kicked off. But now it's public, and so I issued a public statement in response. And I'd like that to read this to you now, okay? Because her answer, her statement deserves a response. And this deserves, this whole issue deserves serious attention because what we're talking about here is an attempt to take control of the Catholic mind. What these two pious Catholic lady commissars are trying to do, trying to say, what they're trying to do is they are trying to impose Jewish values like taboo, on the Catholics uh, who uh, are unfortunate enough to come in contact with them, like Patrick Coffin, okay? In an article which appeared in Crisis Magazine, Janet Smith accused me of being an anti-Semite because, quote, Jones attaches no qualifiers to the term the Jews. Well, neither does St. John when he uses the term hoi judeoi to refer to the Jewish people. Neither does St. Paul when he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, the Jews are the people who put the Lord Jesus to death and the prophets too. And now they have been persecuting us and acting in a way that cannot please God and makes them enemies of the entire human race. I once asked a Notre Dame graduate student who said the Jews are the people who killed Christ and enemies of the entire human race. And she said, this is a graduate student theology, said without missing a beat, Adolf Hitler. Smith then claims that I have violated Vatican II's claim that, quote, what happened in his passion cannot be charged against all Jews without distinction, then alive, nor against the Jews of today. Close quote. But she can only make this claim by ignoring the distinctions I have made repeatedly between the Jews, hoi judeoi, and all Jews. And Saints John, Peter, and Paul claim that the Jews killed Christ. Does that mean that all Jews in Jerusalem at that time called for Christ's crucifixion? Does that mean that the Blessed Mother cried out, crucify him, as she stood at the foot of the cross? No, it does not, nor does it change the fact that the Jews did. How many times have I said this on the internet? How many times have I made this distinction clear in the Jewish revolutionary spirit? 
Smith then takes the category mistake at the base of her argument and makes it the basis for a claim that I am an anti-Semite. This is not only stupid, it is uncharitable, especially coming from someone who is my wife's confirmation sponsor and distasteful because her condemnation of what she doesn't understand comes across as an elaborate exercise in virtue signaling. I am truly sorry that Janet Smith has, quote, already spent too much time on this matter, close quote. But the real criterion of how she spends her time should be whether she spent enough time on the matter to understand what I actually said before attacking me as an anti-Semite. I am also truly sorry that Janet Smith has spent hours discussing the matter with Coffin. Coffin, however, has a different view of the matter. After claiming on Facebook that she would not drop out of Coffin's Hope is Fuel conference, Janet Smith, presumably buckling under the pressure her Facebook post had generated, called Patrick and pressured him to kick me off the conference. When Patrick refused to cave into Smith's pressure, she withdrew from the conference and wrote her ap apologia in crisis to give the impression that Patrick and I had done something wrong. Instead of going behind my back and trying to get me kicked out of the conference, Janet Smith could have called me and asked me if her understanding of what I said corresponded to what I have actually said and written, but she felt her time, too much of which has been spent on this matter, could be better spent by persuading Patrick Coffin to throw me under the bus. She then has the gall to justify her underhandedness by claiming that her capitulation to Jewish taboo is based on the magisterium of the Catholic Church because I, like St. John, have used the term the Jews. The claim is preposterous, and since I have already spent too much time on this matter, I can only respond with a question. Since Janet Smith obviously occupies the high moral ground, can she tell me if it's a sin, the sin of anti-Semitism, to use the term the Jews? If so, how did Jesus commit a sin by using that term? If not, why are these ladies burdening my conscience with questions of etiquette? Let me close with the tweet I posted addressing pious Catholic ladies who think that imposing Jewish taboos on fellow Catholics is a form of virtuous behavior. In her video attacking me, Professor Jennifer Roback Morris claimed that any association with E. Michael Jones was a deal breaker. Working with the homosexual priest Robert Sirica and his postulate of undermining Catholic social teaching is not a deal breaker for Jennifer Roback Morse, but honoring her commitment to appear on Patrick Coffin's Hope and Fuel Conference is, is one because I am one of the speakers at that conference. This is a shameless form of virtue signaling that has nothing to do with the Catholicism she professes but a lot to do with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, which Jesus condemned when he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. By associating with Jennifer Roback Morse, I am not tainted by the fact that she aborted one of her children or that she uses the Acton Institute to undermine the social teaching of the Catholic Church by promoting libertarianism. Nor is she contaminated by any of the ideas I have expressed in my books. To claim the opposite, 
is to succumb to the Jewish thinking that led me to write the Jewish revolutionary spirit in the first place. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay. Uh, hello, everybody. If you guys don't know, this is Mike Bajakis. I help Dr. Jones with these uh, podcasts here. Uh, we have a call-in section. This is our call-in section. Call-ins are made uh, via Telegram. Uh, the link is in the description for anyone who is not on Telegram. Uh, we'll I'll pick people who uh, raise their hands in Telegram. And then later in the stream, I'll read off questions from the chat on Cozy. There are no paid super chats required. It's all furry for you guys. Uh, try to keep questions on subject. Uh, try to keep to one question. Be respectful of time. And most importantly, do not forget to unmute yourself. Okay. Uh, that's my rant. Let us go to the Telegram. Okay. There was a Patrick C. That'd be crazy if this was Patrick Coffin. Probably not. But all right. Patrick C. Go ahead. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Uh, greetings, Dr. Jones. God bless and Mary keep you. Thank you. I, uh, I wonder, I wonder this Janet Smith, I'm looking at her bio. She, she seems to be promoting traditional Latin mass. Um, what does this have to do with the Jewish question? I noticed this a lot with a lot of TLMers that they really won't touch or they'll they'll actually fight back against this i know you've talked before about these different groups the one out in new york that saw the apparition supposedly but they were set up as kind of like a front for for actually it seems more jewish than anything these the tlm type thing it's like it's been hijacked in a way what what are your thoughts I've already talked about the the, the early the traditionalist movement. Uh, let's say around uh, 1988, around that time, around the time of the schism. And I'm saying that it was an elaborate way to avoid talking about the Jews, which was an important issue in New York City, where this all where this traditional movement was was uh, uh, beginning. I've subsequently uh, been confirmed in this. A friend, uh, Luis, my, the man who translates my work into Spanish, went to this so-called meeting of the clans, the traditionalist clans in Pittsburgh. And uh, there's John Rayo, a man I like, a man whose scholarship I respect, who gives a talk on the mind of Bergoglio. Well, uh, Luis grew up in Buenos Aires. He knows Bergoglio like the palm of his hand. And the big thing missing from John Rayo's talk was any mention of the Jews, Jewish influence on Bergoglio. No mention of Rabbi Skorkna and so on and so forth. So at this, at this point, he goes up to John and says, well, why did you leave this out? It's important. And John says, oh, I'm going to cover it in the next uh, part. And of course, he never covered it. So this leads me to believe that the whole uh, traditionalist Latin mass movement is an elaborate way of avoiding saying certain unpleasant things that will get you banned uh, from the Internet. Now, that being said, I met with a uh, seminary, now a priest of the Fraternity of St. Peter, who told me something really interesting stuff, the research he had done about uh, the text that got dropped from Latin, when the, the liturgy was translated into the vernacular language. Well, it turns out that they all mentioned the Jews, the perfidious Jews. And so the translation was a way of eliminating that from everyone's consciousness. So I, this is great. This is, a, this is an important issue. I want to publish it in Culture Wars. Well, didn't happen. 
because he had to confer with his superiors and they were afraid that if they uh, had any contact with E. Michael Jones, they would become ritually impure and it might endanger their position in these parishes at various dioceses. So that's, that's my answer to the question. So I'm not surprised that Janet Smith would come out in favor of the Latin mass. It is completely complementary to her attack on me as an anti-Semite. Uh, okay, next we're going to go to, where was it? Uh, Eric Brandit. Go ahead. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great, thank you. Um, I'm reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit right now, and you mentioned something really interesting in the chapter about revolutionary music in the 1930s. Yes. Uh, you wrote that, Chris, that uh, Christian rock never really works because it's classically inspired lyrics with modern music and they don't mix. Um, I'm wondering if you could just expand on that idea. Yeah, yeah, this is well, the fundamental problem. So you had these Russian Jews coming over here uh, and they had their own Russian music and it was usually an F minor and it was lugubrious because this is part of the Russian soul. So they show up here and then they go down from New York City to the uh, cotton mill, the cotton uh, t-shirt manufacturers in North Carolina and they're suddenly exposed to Appalachian music. Well, Appalachian music is not Russian music. And so what they did, they co-opted this Appalachian music, took it over. It became, that became the basis of uh, uh, Jewish folk music in the 1960s. Uh, and uh, they tried uh, and they failed to uh, put uh, revolutionary lyrics to it. It's not revolutionary music. The revolutionary music, if you want revolutionary music, I'd be happy to sing Die Internationale. Okay, that is revolutionary music. Volker hört die Signale auf zum letzten Gefecht. Die Internationale erkämpft das Menschenrecht. Now, when you sing that, you're ready to go out on the street and, and blow up City Hall. But you're not going to do it if you're singing some type of Appalachian tune, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, Wildwood Flower. Well, Woody Guthrie tried. He wrote a, a story, a song called "The Reuben James" about a ship that sank. It's it's fairly successful, but this is the conflict. So you take a fast forward to uh, uh, chastity, uh, uh, chastity. You got Christian rap there, which I have seen in person. It's embarrassing because the the lyrics are totally at odds with the music. It makes no sense whatsoever. And no matter what you say, you're going to be undermined by the music, which is basically passion in musical form. The, if you're interested in the liturgical ramifications of this, read uh, Pius X's Motu Proprio on sacred music. Best piece of literary criticism I have ever read, and it's about sacred music. But he talks about how if you're the lower part of your body starts going, uh, uh, it's not sacred music and it's not appropriate for the liturgy. I had this experience at Steubenville. Don't be offended, fellas, but I'm there at the, with the charismatic mass and there's a lady in front of me who's shaking her butt back and forth to the music, uh, distracting me uh, and making it clear to me that this type of music does not raise the mind and heart to God. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Next, we have Onion Crusader. Go ahead. Hey, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? Yes, I can. 
So I've been studying the catechism as I've uh, been becoming Catholic. And a very interesting paragraph is 841, which talks about how Muslims, according to the Catholic Church, worship the same God as Catholics. Right. Um, I, uh, that doesn't make much sense to me, being that our God is one, a trinity, and also that Jesus Christ is God, and they don't believe that. That's right. And, and so I have a few questions. One, do you agree with the Catholic catechism on that? Yes. Two, is there anything you, you – okay, gotcha. I, I do agree. I know you have, lots of, you have lots of Muslim – you talk to a lot of Muslim leaders, so I'm just interested that's in your not opinion why, on that's that. That's not why I believe that, but yes, I do believe that, what they said, yes. Okay. And um, also, how do you uh, – if you have things in the Catholic faith that you struggle with, how do you uh, – deal with that as, as a faithful Catholic. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. Uh, first of all, you have to understand that you, no one human mind is great enough to encompass all of the teaching of 2,000 years of great minds who have figured out very difficult things like the Trinity, for example. The Trinity is not in uh, the Bible, okay? The seeds of it are there. So this is relevant to because it, 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 it's directly relevant to the Muslim issue. So what, yes, we both worship the same God. All monotheists worship the same God. If there's only one God and you're worshiping him, obviously you're all worshiping the same God. What's the difference between what we believe and what Muslims believe? The difference is that our understanding is better. Now, if you read Logos Rising and you see that whole chapter on the the evolution of the term Trinity, the the hammering out of the word Trinity by these deep discussions in Greek, you'll understand what I'm talking about. uh, It's followed by the chapter on Islam uh, where they don't know it. They didn't get it. And they didn't get it largely because they got their idea of Jesus Christ from Nestorian heretics And the heretics at this time either denied that Jesus Christ was God or they denied that he was man. And the whole achievement, the great achievement of the Catholic Church, which is based on Greek philosophy and the the presence of the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. So, yes, when I go to Islam, when I go to, to Iran and I go to the mosque and I see these people, they're worshiping God as they understand him, but their understanding is defective. And that's the difference that we have to keep in mind. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right. Next, we have uh, some other name. Some other name. Go ahead. Hey, hi, Dr. Jones. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Thanks so much for taking uh, my little uh, request to speak. Um, first of all, thanks so much for confronting uh, people like this lady who's trying to cancel you within the Catholic side of things. It would be a disaster for us to turn on each other. Um, I'm a traditional Catholic, quote-unquote, and one of the best points I ever heard uh, from you was that unity is much more important than even the Mass or the, how we practice the Mass. So I would love for us to unite around backing each other up, especially people who aren't hateful, but are actually just trying to tell truths that we really need to hear. Um, I would just like to make one comment uh, based on the discussion previously. I've been involved in lots of different parishes and in parishes in Ireland now and in America. And maybe it's a generational thing, but it's in amongst traditional Catholics that I see people my age, 30s, 20s, frequently and freely discussing issues with Jews. I don't see that in other parishes as much. 
and quite involved on both sides. So maybe it's a generate like maybe your generation, those people who are involved in the traditional movement were scared to touch it. But amongst people I know, it's very commonly discussed. It's very commonly joked about. And I don't see any hang-ups with it. So maybe it was true previously that the traditional movement was a way to avoid the Jewish question, but it's definitely not now. So that's just a quick point I wanted to make. Thank you. And then I wanted to let me let, yeah, me, let I, me comment on that. That's why I said there is a generational issue here. That's why I made the yeah. distinction between the early uh, traditionalist movement with people like John Rayo, Howard Walsh, and those people, and the new uh, people, the younger people that I'm talking to in the FSSP. I think you're right that there is a generational gap here. Yeah. But go ahead. Next next comment or question. I just found that too. So it was funny. I was getting into your stuff about six years ago, and I had a couple of priests over for a chat. We had some whiskey and. Before I knew it, they were recommending your books, which at the time I was just, it was kind of like, oh my God, you're talking about forbidden knowledge here. So that was even amongst kind of young seminarians uh, out of the FSSP. And that was six years ago. Um, but the second point I wanted to, wanted to make was um, you're confronting double standards. It's great to see it. You did it in a very strong way. What I'd like to know is should the lay, like, should we be doing that more? And how do we know when to stop? and not become like the rabid attack dogs like church militants. Yes, church militants, I think, went too good, far, and good. I don't want to promote doing that. Right, good. I've, I said in my book on uh, church militant that Michael Voris has no business being a spokesman for the Catholic Church because of his homosexual narcissism. He cannot, he does not have an active, an active, active, an accurate apprehension of reality because that narcissism clouds everything that he does. And so just to prove my point, he just went on attacking Patrick Coffin. Completely wrong. Got it completely wrong here. Okay. But in terms of, okay, how, how, so yes, that's wrong. Okay. I had this same situation. Some guy writes to me and says, I've been listening to you and I, I, I'm thinking of joining the Catholic Church, but I can't bring myself to do it. And I said, why not? And he said, because the church is full of faggots. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, because I, uh, Michael Voris said it on Church Militant TV. This is anti-evangelism. This is, this is exactly the problem you get with that type of uh, personality. You can't have a person like that in a, a leadership position or a, an information position in the church. Now, the other side of the coin is that we all have to stand up right now and say that the main threat to unity in the Catholic Church right now is lady commissars like Jennifer Roback Morris and Janet Smith imposing Jewish values on Catholics in the name of some type of higher morality. Jesus Christ said this about the Pharisees. Who do you think you are? You put burdens on people that you have no right putting on people. Who gave these women the right to impose Jewish values on Catholic faithful? Keep that in mind. There, that, is, that is the fundamental problem with unity in the Catholic Church right now. I've said it many times before. The Church can have unity or it can have good relations with the Jews, but it can't have both. And for the last 50 years, the church has chosen to have good relations with the Jews, and the result is a catastrophic collapse of church unity. Next, we're going to MB. Go ahead. MB. Hey, can you hear me, Dr. Jones? I can. Hey, quick question. Uh, your article in this month's uh, Culture Wars 
the main article you wrote, the tail end of it, you mentioned SDB Bank and the Jewish banksters that run SDB Bank. Just to be fair, are you sure of that? I, I looked at the leadership, and I don't think any of the Jews. I'm having trouble hearing you. There's a lot of road noise in the back. What what bank did I mention? Did I mention a bank? Say it again. SBB. SBB Bank. All right. I don't remember saying that, but I'll have to, I have to check. And if I'm wrong, I will publish a, a correction. But as far as I know, I don't remember mentioning it and I'll have to look into it. Yeah, the last paragraph of your article, I was just okay. curious about it. But I will. I didn't. I'll look into it. All right. Thanks. All right. Uh, next we got, let's see, P P D G. Go ahead. PDG. Don't forget to unmute. Yes, so, sorry. Um, hello, Mr. Jones. Hello. Um, so I'm calling you from Vendée in France. Uh, last last week, you were talking about Medjugorje deception, and you were talking about the fact that Medjugorje is full of demons. Now, uh, I know a priest that went to Medjugorje, and he got cured during his pilgrimage. So, uh, and arriving in a wheelchair, and then <laughs> he came back walking on his legs. Um, as you said, uh, God has a plan for your life. So, do you think that this priest uh, was cured by demons or by God? Okay. Uh this, so as far as I understood it, you're saying uh, there was a, a, a cure about Medjugorje. Priest went to Medjugorje and he was cured uh, by going there. Uh, when I went to Medjugorje, there was a, a lady on the uh, a flight who was blind. Uh, she claimed it's some type of miraculous cure. And then it turns out, no, she's still as blind as she was before she before she left. So if your friend has been in, in effect cured by this thing. If he thinks it's a miraculous cure, he should go um, mention this, contact the Bureau in Lourdes that evaluates this type of thing, and uh, they will uh, they will either verify or refute what they said. So uh, that's what I can say. All, all I can say is that uh, God uh, is not limited by the wickedness of the people who run Medjugorje. He can do whatever he wants. And so there are people I know who uh, have converted. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but then uh, if they try to extrapolate from the fact of their conversion to say that this is some type of uh, uh, authentic, certifies the authenticity of the apparition, uh, I'm not, I, I don't, don't buy it. Sorry. And the man who gave me the key to understand this was Father Philip Pavic, who went to Medjugorje, Franciscan, Croatian Franciscan, went to Medjugorje, spent years in the confessional, and he's the source of my claim that uh, it's infested with demons. And he said, just because you were born doesn't mean your parents were married. Thank you. Thank you very much. And tell us when you, go, when you will be able to come to Vendée in France. I would love to come. I wanted to come. They wouldn't let me on the plane. I would like to come uh, the next time you have a conference. I spent all summer practicing my French, and I never got to use it. All right, moving on here. Uh, next, we have Quentin Heisler. Go ahead, Quentin. 
Hi, Dr. Jones. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. So I was going through your website and I found the most spectacular and effusive endorsement of your body of work from Joe Sobrin, one of my favorite people in the world, a brilliant writer, a masterful stylist. Um, so I guess it's kind of a kind of a larger question, but what's your impression of Sobrin's work? How do you two um, differ on some things? And, you know, because he was very dubious, I think, of the integralist L. Brent Bazell triumph crowd in some ways. And, you know, he walked that high wire act of being an, uh, an Anglophile, but yet being a Catholic. I don't right. know if you, I'm in the process of reading his book on Shakespeare's Edward Devere right now. So yes, just in general. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Joe was from a uh, uh, Catholic boy from Ypsilanti, got married, had five children, and then he started writing for uh, National Review, and it, it corrupted him. It led to his moral corruption, no question about it. And so I joined up with him, uh, made contact with him. I solicited an article from him uh, uh, on homosexuality. It must have been in the 80s, maybe early 90s. Uh, and he wrote something basically saying that it, homosexuality isn't, is no big deal. Uh, and so when I tried to reason with him, he got uppity and got mad at me and basically slammed the door in my face. So he was an arrogant son of a bitch at that point. I mean, God bless him. You know, uh, he's gone to his eternal reward. And over that period of time, God had mercy on his soul by uh, having him stand up for the truth, namely the truth of Jewish uh, influence in our culture. Uh, and he paid the price for being a man of principle. He wouldn't back down. Buckley completely caved in on him. William Buckley, the, the, chair, the chairman, wrote a despicable article in National Review on anti-Semitism in which he totally capitulated to the Jews and uh, threw both Joe Sobern, who idolized him, and Pat Buchanan under the bus. It was a shameful episode. Eventually, Joe and uh, Bill, I think, reconciled. And then I met him up with him again. And this was a different man. Okay, suffering had ennobled uh, Joe's soul at this point. And so we could have finally an um, honest conversation. I talked to him about the, the roots of the, uh, uh, the, C, the uh, CIA roots of National Review. We had a conversation about that. And then finally, the last time I saw him was at the Sam Francis conference where I blew up the entire conservative movement by asking whether Jews are, are white. He was in the audience uh, kind of smiling the whole time because he had been through this whole thing, you know, trying to dr uh, bring the Jewish question into conservative circles is life-threatening. And he had paid for it with his career. And here I am doing the same type of thing, waving my spear, charging the machine gun nest. And so finally, you know, afterwards it goes over and I go up and I'm talking to him and somebody comes up and says, Joe Sobrin, E. Michael Jones, let me take a picture. So I put my arm around Joe's shoulder and I said, Joe, this picture is going to ruin your career. And without missing a beat, Joe said to me, mutually assured destruction. That was the last <laughs> time I talked. He was witty to the end. You know, he was witty to the end. And he was purified, I think, uh, by the suffering at the end of his life. And uh, we can hope that he was saved by the grace of God. But I think he was heading in that direction. That, that was my last contact with Joe Sobrin. So I'm grateful that he made that endorsement. And I consider him a comrade in arms because 
He was the one who addressed this issue before I did and paid a price for it. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to do like one or two more questions here via the call-ins, and then I'm going to jump to the Cozy Chat. You guys and Cozy start asking your questions now. Uh, let's see. Uh, Andrew Horball. Go ahead, Andrew. Andrew Horvath, don't forget to unmute. Andrew, no, no. Can you hear me? There. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, hey, Dr. Jones, good to talk to you again. We talked uh, in an interview that I did with you uh, a couple of years ago. I appreciate that. Good. And so, I, you know, I, I do follow your, your traffic. I'm not a Catholic, but I am a Christian. So from just a Christian general view concerning these women, isn't this a matter of First Timothy uh, chapter 2, where in verse 11 it says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And then it goes on and how the Antichrist spirit had subverted the woman who then subverted the man. Isn't this a uh, issue across the board? Good question. You're, you're asking me to walk across the minefield now, blindfolded, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best. Look, we have to draw certain conclusions. This was this attack on Patrick Coffin was a female operation, start to finish. Uh, he knows that. He talked to me about this thing. Uh, is that coincidence or is there something going on here? Uh, my friend... Um, my uh, managing editor, Elisa Rangel, told me that when she was a student at Notre Dame, uh, Janice Smith gave a speech in which she said the reason she became a Catholic was hierarchy envy. Is that what's going on here? This was certainly part of the feminist movement during the 70s and 80s when women were complaining that they couldn't be ordained. Uh, that was a full frontal assault on the idea of the male priesthood uh, I watched it uh, up close, that whole synod on the laity that was orchestrated to get basically uh, older girls uh, w was attended by um, uh, the, uh, uh, oh, wait a minute, the guy, I forget his name now, but anyway, a famous uh, Catholic thinker, they invited him by mistake. And uh, the uh, the man who was in charge of it said basically that we this is going to be the thin end of the wedge to get Catholic priests. I think there's a reason why we have a male priesthood. I think that there is there is a fundamental difference in attitude between women and men when it comes to abstraction uh, ideas. Uh, I think I think that uh, if you're going to defend principle, you have to have a masculine point of view and say, look, the principle comes before the person. And I think the reason you love your mother is because she puts oftentimes the person before the principle. That's a bad idea for the church. It's a bad idea for philosophical discourse. And it's all over, all over this attempt to destroy Patrick Coffin. Right, because I read that article from uh, that woman, and it was based in feelings and emotions, and that and that tends to be uh, how women operate. I mean, it's just their natural; it's their God-given. They they're they're based on feelings and emotions, and there's a reason that God had spelled out in the Scripture that men are to be the elders 
within the churches. So yeah, yeah and I, I hear and, you. And I had to take that conversation. But you know, Janet's got feelings. Great, glad you have feelings, Janet. But the issue is, uh, there's a philosophical issue involved here that I had to drag out of that article, and that is, that if you use the word the Jews, you're an anti-Semite. That's what that was the basis yeah. of her argument against me. That's preposterous. That is a cat. She's made a she made a category mistake uh, at the beginning of her argument by saying that she didn't could distinguish between the Jews and all Jews. That's a category mistake. And then she makes that mistake and goes on to make a preposterous claim. And then that's the basis for her calling me an anti-Semite. She did not cover herself in glory by writing this article. It's full of bad thinking. Yeah, absolutely. You you did. You came back. You're clearly not an anti-Semite. That was a an accusation based on feelings, not on logic, not on facts. And then, like I said, that I just see that throughout the churches in America today, and it's a problem. And I don't know if we'll ever get back. You know, as you said, men men leading our churches, but we'll see. Yeah. Thanks, Doctor Jones. You're welcome. All right, uh, Dr. Jones, it's uh, 10 till uh, 6. All right, let's go to the written uh, written questions. Go on the written questions, all right. Okay, on Cozy from WK Worldwide, uh, question, uh, isn't Morse's books, The Sexual State, uh, basically a derivative of Libido Dominandi? Why fight with E. Michael Jones? Well, first of all, I haven't read it, but um, I, she said at the beginning of her statement that she valued certain books. Well, I'll have to read it. Maybe she just took my book and, and re rewrote it. I don't know. Uh, it's happened before. I mean, uh, uh, basically, the uh, libido dominandi uh, got t taken by Gabriella Kubi, who wrote a book in German that then had an influence on the uh, on the uh, Polish bishops who then issued a statement on gender ideology based on that book, which is based on my book. And between that and the Polish edition of libido coming out, we destroyed gay marriage. So great. That's great. Okay. You should give me credit. Uh, and Gabriela Kubi did whether Jennifer did, I don't know. I'd have to read the book, uh, but uh, don't take credit and then turn on me and call me an, an anti-Semite. This is not productive. This is, this is, this is, this shows lack of charity. The worst thing you can say about anyone in this culture is that he's an anti-Semite. It's, an, it's a death sentence. And just ask Kanye West and a, a lot of other people. Ask Joe Sobrin. I can go down the list. And they know that, and that's why they're wielding this thing. And it is a, a sin against charity, and it's a sin against the unity of the church. And we have to stand up. We have to expose these people for what they're doing and not allow these pious Catholic ladies to take over, become commissars for Jewish interests. All right, from uh, Kingfish AF, uh, Dr. Jones, is AI essentially the Jews' modern attempt at summoning a golem? Modern attempt at what? Summoning a golem. Say it again. Summoning a golem. No, I just finished an article on AI. Okay, and I think that uh, there was a speech out there by Yuval Noah Harari, the world's smartest Jew, in which he's talking about the dangers of AI. The dangers of AI are basically that you program it to think irrationally, okay? And that will cause problems. If you ask it, for example, uh, how many Jews 
died in Auschwitz. It will say 1.1 million. How did they, uh, what to happen to their bodies? They were cremated. How long does it take for a body to be cremated? Two to three hours. How long can 1.1 million bodies be cremated within the three, three years that Auschwitz existed? And the answer, the AI will say no. At this point, AI becomes a Holocaust denier. That is out of their control. This is, if there ever was an example, this is the cunning of reason. I wrote the article. It will appear in Culture Wars, next issue of Culture Wars. Uh, from the Cheddaring, uh, would you consider translating your books into other languages for friends that live in other countries? Yes, of course I would. I'm open to that. We need the right people. My, my good friend, uh, Luis, has translated uh, a number of books uh, of my books into Spanish. If you have Spanish-speaking friends, you can tell them that they can, they can, they're available now. They've been translated into French, as I mentioned, into Polish. Uh, sure, I'm open to that idea. I'd love to have this book translated into German. Uh, but I, when I approached the German publisher, he said, I prefer not to go to jail. So that's the problem with Germany. All right, we had one from a telegram. Uh, EMJ's thoughts on De Larriere, the priest who involved, the priest involved with uh, uh, the Ottaviani intervention. Don't know this story. I can't comment on it. No problem. Um, from Neil M. Seed, M. Seed, from Cozy, uh, is there an opportunity for Patrick Coffin to turn this debate into a platform for hope, possibly include uh, uh, RFK Jr.? Look, this is a defining moment for Patrick Coffin, and I applaud the fact that he is a man of principle. We need men of principle here. And I'm saying you, the reason you have trials in this life is to strengthen you, to make you, to focus your mind. Suffering focuses the mind and brings you in contact with transcendental values in a way that you don't come in contact when you're dealing with the everyday struggles of life, with the, the minutia of life. So this is a, a defining moment. And I think what we're going to see here is we're, we're going to turn the corner here. We are going to break this Jewish control over the, the mind of Catholics. We are going to expose it as completely anti-Catholic, pharisaical, taboo thinking that has no place in the Catholic Church and no place in the mind of fellow Catholics. And I think when the history books get written, it will look to see that uh, Patrick Coffin standing up for principle was the man who stemmed the tide. From SAD409, Dr. Jones, how important is white identity in the current American politics? The white identity is a category of the mind that was created by Jews like Noel Ignatieff in order to subjugate the American people and deprive them of their real identity, which is uh, Protestant Catholic Jew, the triple melting pot. So I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. All you have to do is look at commercials on television and you realize that the playbook there is white identity. I am just saying that you should not internalize the commands of your oppressors. Or as I said before uh, about the guy who at the biker rally, somebody yelled, hey, asshole, and everybody turned around. Okay, so don't turn around when someone yells something like that. 
from hate for the left question how much of the holocaust propaganda comes from jewish propaganda versus ussr propaganda it, it depends on what you're talking what what periods you're talking about so the main the main force driving the early holocaust narrative was the allied armies uh, both uh, american uh, british and soviet union uh, who had committed war crimes uh, the entire bombing campaign uh, orchestrated by the Americans and the British were war crimes. The attack on Dresden and Hamburg was a huge war crime. That was the real Holocaust. Those people were burnt alive by the firebombing. Okay, so but they were burned. Eisenhower is burdened with that guilt. He's burdened with the guilt of the Rheinwiesen Lager. And he sees a moment of opportunity at this point. Uh, when he goes to Ordruf and sees all these dead bodies, photograph the bodies. That's a category of reality. They were dead. They did die. But then impose the the uh, the narrative on them that they died in a gas chamber. That's impossible. There were no gas chambers at Ordruf. But that's how the narrative got taken over by the propaganda, the psychological warfare operation of America by uh, uh, General McClure and his assistant C.D. Jackson, who went on to become the man who elected Eisenhower, a, a man uh, uh, with uh, working for the CIA and Time magazine simultaneously. So as you move along, it moves out of the realm of American war propaganda or Soviet war propaganda. They were involved in it just as much as the Americans were and into the realm of Hollywood, basically. And so Hollywood, the, the Jews now, C.D. Jackson was a Jew. He brought the, the whole Jewish Hollywood thing into it. He got Billy Wilder to do a film, brought him in to do a film. The Jews got Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, the Jews in Britain got Alfred Hitchcock to do. He was a Catholic, but he was uh, from Hollywood. He knew which side his bread was buttered on to do propaganda films. But after that, uh, this idea took on a life of its own, and Hollywood became the main uh, transmitter of, of the, the Holocaust narrative. Uh, there were books. Anyway, this is all in the book. The book will be out soon and you can buy a copy and learn all the details. From Rudir Kuss the Days, Dr. Jones, what is the right way to handle with Vatican II decisions? Vatican II needs to be interpreted in light of tradition. Once, once you accept that principle, all of the problems disappear all the problems with the documents. And I've already mentioned the main problem with Nostra Aetate, which is the, the document says the church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism. They said that without defining the term anti-Semitism. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to follow lockstep everything that the ADL says? Well, yeah, what we just went through earlier on this program is an exact example of the abuse of Vatican II by commissars who are basically imposing a Jewish narrative on the mind of Catholics. So if you resolve, you can resolve it by going back, interpreting the light of tradition. And that means in this instance, the term anti-Semitism came into existence as a racial term in 1871 by a guy named Wilhelm Marr, who was a revolutionary and didn't like religion. And so now Jews have bad DNA. That is completely incompatible with Catholic teaching, simply because everybody in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion, they all had the same DNA. So it makes no sense. It can't explain what happened. 
what the Jews did was basically expand that to something cosmic and undefinable, and they used it as a weapon to beat everyone into submission. And the shameful thing is that you have Catholic ladies out there who are willing to use that weapon and beat up their own people in order to curry favor with this group of people. Next question from uh, Based Phone Charger. Um, how does your take, Dr. Jones, on the JQ not go against the revised version of the catechism? Can you give me a, an act, a quote, uh, an actual quote from the revised version of the catechism? I'm, I don't know what, I mean, I've already told you uh, my, my uh, opinion on Nostra Tate. That is the basis that is the magisterial document that has to be the basis for all catechetical texts along with scripture. So I don't know exactly what there. I, I'll, I will tell you that uh, the, the American bishops catechism said that the Mosaic covenant is eternally valid. When they said that our correspondent and friend, uh, Robertson Genis wrote an article saying this is heretical. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant is no longer valid because the temple has been destroyed and the new covenant is the Catholicism. Six weeks later, the bishops removed that statement from their catechism as a tacit admission that they were wrong and Bob St. Genis was right. If that's the case, that's what has to happen. We have to have this examination of basically uh, text in light of the gospel, in light of tradition. And if it's not in, light, in line with the gospel or tradition, we have to chuck it because it's not Catholic. And that goes for, now this is not magisterial. They, they, they embarked upon this Catholic Jewish dialogue project. It's a failed experiment. That has nothing to do with the magisterium. Okay, that has to do with a, a, an experiment, a theory, a, a, an attempt to talk to the Jews that failed for reasons that should be obvious by now. So I think that's the way you have to deal with it. From St. Paul Enjoyer, uh, the Budweiser boycott seems to be working. Are you surprised? Is this the cunning of reason? Yes, it is the cunning of reason because you have some marketing genius who basically engages in anti-marketing and then tanks the very brand that they're supposed to uh, be, be, be promoting. Th this is, uh, this uh, it's happened with the military, which is uh, more serious, okay? You're promoting transgendered people to go and join the military and then go off and die for the gay disco? No, that's not gonna work. Those people are, don't want to go to die for anything. And exactly, and the people who are, have this military tradition, I, I am talking about, uh, what should I say? White people from the South? Uh, I hope I don't offend anyone by saying that, but this was the backbone of the army. They had a tradition of these people and suddenly they're being confronted. They have to go along with it, uh, this transgender agenda. No, they're staying away in droves as, uh, as Sam Goldman would say about, Hollywood films. Okay. It's not going to work. That's exactly the point. And so this point is don't hire these marketing geniuses uh, who are going to wreck your brand. Don't do it. Uh, from adoring fan, uh, was Ignatius of Loyola, of Loyola, a converso Jew? No, uh, I have no idea. And it, it, look, you're going to have to clarify what you mean by converso. Okay, converso is a pejorative term. It means a Jew 
who converted uh, on the surface, but did not really convert to Catholicism and practiced Jewish rituals in secret after that and continued Jewish business practices like usury. If you're saying, so that is bad. Converso is always bad, okay? We have a converso crisis right now in the church with people like Dawn Goldstein, okay? Who is now uh, uh, going after Catholics as anti-Semites. If you're asking me, did uh, were Ignatius of Loyola's ancestors Jews? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that there were many Jews who sincerely converted to Christianity. And once that happened, there was no problem anymore. If the conversion is sincere, there's no problem. The problem comes in both in Spain and now is when you want to, or you're lying about your conversion, or you want to bring Jewish privilege into the Catholic Church with you. And you want to have get appointed a professor simply because you have Jewish uh, DNA and everybody should be cheering because you're in, in the church, even though you have not abandoned all of the bad habits that Jews have cultivated. And the worst of all of these bad habits is calling anybody you disagree with and don't like an anti-Semite. That's intolerable. We cannot have that. We cannot have that because it's a, it's a sin against charity and it's a sin against the unity of the church. Okay, Dr. Jones, it's a little bit past the hour. One, do one, one more. more. One Let's more. Let's do one more. All right, from uh, Alex Great, uh, Dr. Jones, what is your take on Fatima and the current role of Russia? Do you see the prophecy uh, fulfilling itself? Yes, the consecration of Russia has taken place. So it was a a time. It, it, the Fatima began uh, at the same time as the Russian Revolution. Uh, the Blessed Mother told the children that Russia will spread her errors. And that statement has been a source of what I call Fatima fundamentalism ever since. Uh, because they, some people take it to mean that there's something bad about the Russian people. What the Blessed Mother was referring to was communism and the Soviet Union. She could not have said that to three children because they wouldn't have understood what the Soviet Union was. So she said Russia. Okay. Russia, uh, when communism collapsed, Russia reverted to being the Christian country that it was before the revolution. That is, in some sense, the conversion of Russia that was promised. So it's already taken place. Now, if that had taken place sooner, there are all kinds of ifs here, hypotheticals in the history of private revelation. If it had take pl taken place before World War II, Oh, what might the consequences have been? What might the consequences be uh, with, with regard to the Catholic Church? Could there have been a rapprochement between the Russian Orthodox and the Catholic Church if it had taken place sooner? If they we had listened to the Blessed Mothers, that's, we'll never know because it didn't happen. But the conversion did place and, and anybody who thinks that, that Russia is not a Christian country is a prisoner of uh, outdated categories and Fatima fundamentalism. All right. Uh, there we are. Let's see. Uh, I have no announcements. Uh, I just want to remind everyone, like I do every show, to subscribe to Culture Wars magazine at culturewars.com. Get the books at fidelitypress.org. And make sure to subscribe on Telegram and Odyssey and Rumble and BitChute and all the other ones that we're on. Uh, I got no announcements. Dr. Jones, any, anything? On Thank your you for a, a really good show. Thank you.
uh, and I look forward to talking to you next week. All right. God bless everybody. See you next week.